Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 27, How Barbara O'Neill Writes. I want to make a special announcement that I have been waiting and waiting to tell you. On June 1st, 2020, I'll be launching a brand new program called the 21 Day MFA. This new program is a series of online courses that teach writers one MFA level skill in 21 days. This is a brand new way to learn to write. I'm packing literally 10 years of study and MFA from NYU and thousands and thousands of hours of tinkering to offer hyper-specific experiential learning courses. Now, instead of going through a two-year MFA program and spending tens of thousands of dollars, you can learn one MFA-level skill in just 21 days. The first course will launch June 1st, and it's all about building a prolific writing routine, no matter what kind of life and schedule you're coming from. To kick off this new program and give you a taste of the course, I'm hosting a live one-hour workshop called How to Create a Prolific Writing Routine, even if you are stressed, short of time, and unsure if you are a writer. I'm sure a bunch of you can tick those boxes as I said that. You've heard me say this, but to me, if you can learn one thing as a writer, one skill that will have the single biggest impact on your writing life, it is learning to build a routine to consistently produce work. If you're ready to get started by creating a life-changing writing routine, then register for the free workshop at howwriterswrite.com slash prolific. The first workshop is Thursday, May 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Okay, so this episode with Barbara O'Neill is everything and more that How Writers Write is all about. Barbara shares so much practical, useful information As the author of dozens of incredible best-selling novels, Barbara is an absolute authority on the writing life. I don't want to wait any longer to share this, and so now, without any further ado, here is the interview with Barbara O'Neill. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today I have a very special guest. Barbara O'Neill has written dozens of novels, including several Amazon top sellers. Her award-winning books have been published in many countries, including France, England, Poland, Australia, Turkey, Italy, Germany, Brazil, Israel, and Hungary. When We Believed in Mermaids is a Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and number one Amazon Charts bestseller, where it has spent more than four months on that list and two months on the most read Amazon Charts. And it is a beautiful, wonderful, amazing book. She lives in the uh, beautiful city of Colorado Springs with her partner, a British endurance athlete who vows he will never lose his accent. I laughed when I read that. Her her, Her upcoming novel, The Lost Girls of Devon, will be released in July 2020 with Lake Union Press. Barbara, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And thanks for such a, a wonderful introduction. Uh, I mean, you, you make it easy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, 
one of the things I I uh, I read. I was first introduced to you when I read when we believed in mermaids. And I, I mean, I think everybody in the world has read that book at this point. I absolutely loved it. And <laughs> I, and I, and I noticed that you publish under two pen names. Like when I started to dig into you personally, um, you publish under Barbara Samuel and Barbara O'Neill. And right. I tried to like unpack the titles and how many books in total you have published. And it's, it seems like it's, pushing like 45 and I'm curious like do you like how many total books have you published in your writing career you know there are actually two more pen names because I've oh experimented <laughs> with um, new adults um, I had I started off writing uh, category romances so that at the time they required you to take a pen name because they owned the name so I had that name um, and then I started writing as Barbara Samuel, which is my actual legal name. Um, and then when we wanted to do some rebranding for the uh, for the women's fiction to really make that a clear brand, um, I took my grandmother's name, which is O'Neill, and that's pretty much been the name I've been writing under for a while. But the total number of books is somewhere above 70. I ha- haven't counted for a while, but, you know, I know it's above 70 somewhere. Oh, my that like I, I that whenever um i have guests on the podcast who are publishing you know incredible amounts it always kind of blows my mind to have such a uh long career and range and to produce that high quality of work to keep publishing after 70 you know is is so incredible and i'm i you know i'm wondering when you're taking on a different pen name and you know, you're writing as one person or another person, do you feel like an energy shift as you come into writing a new book or is it, you know, the same you, but just kind of, you know, expressing yourself in a different way. Does that, does that question make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. It's actually a really interesting question. I haven't ever really thought about that before, but if I really think about like, especially the new adult, I did have to become like a different energy at that point. And it's a very young audience. It's um, really just quite different from what I write otherwise. Um, and I'm not writing them right now, but certainly to write in a certain tone toward a certain audience, I would have to don a different writing persona. So certainly there is an energy shift, I would guess. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I'm not writing anything about women's fiction because these books are taking me a long time to write. Mm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It, that's it. So I'm always interested in this topic of becoming the writer who can write a book, if, if that makes sense. Kind of ma- managing and marrying your your personal self and your personal life and becoming you know, from the inside, a specific writer who then can produce a specific type of book that you want to write. Not, you know, mm. and, so, and so said another way, not just like having the creative technical skills, but also like the energetic skills to do it. Sure. Um, and so as you're writing now, do you feel, do you feel as if um, like you are, as a writer, married to a specific identity as Barbara O'Neill, right? Who, who I believe is like the pen name you're using now. Yes. Um, that is producing, do, do you feel like an alignment with that energy as you kind of continue to produce new novels as Barbara O'Neill? I do. And the reason is that it has taken a long time 
partly for the market to want the books that I write, um, that are very women-centered, that are um, about families and a lot of domestic ideas in a way that isn't necessarily really dark or heavy. Um, so I really have always wanted to write these books. And so now that I can, there's a real alignment with my pleasure in the process um, in finding the the heart of the stories that I want to tell about women's lives um, and imagining the reader on the other end who is going to get some some hope or some pleasure or just some escape out of those books. So certainly that is my it's been my dream to be in this place. Yeah. If that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. A hundred percent. It makes sense. What do you think brought all on that alignment? It sounds like it's, it, I love that scene as being like, it took a while for the market. It's almost, I hate to, to do this, but it almost is like product market fit where you're producing a book that the market wants to buy. Oh, it's absolutely um, that. Yeah. Uh, so when, what do you think brought that alignment about? I think it's a lot of things, actually. And I have to go back to my roots in romance to talk about this a little bit, which people are sort of uncomfortable with. Um, I know a lot of writers who used to be romance writers who don't claim those books because readers get, you know, freaked out by that. So, but I can't be the person that I am now, the the writer that I am now without having made the journey I made. Um, when I really started writing and I really knew that that was what I wanted to do, I always knew I was going to be a writer, but I didn't know how you became like you, you sat down and wrote a book and then became this mm -hmm. person who published books out in the world. You know, like there's not really a guideline for that, at least at the time that I was doing it. And I was reading a lot of literary magazines and I was trying to understand how things worked. And one afternoon I made a bunch of plum jam. Uh, it was my grandmother's recipe. And I had a couple of little kids. I was cooking all the time. I had a big garden. I was sort of like in this domestic place. And I was watching those jars of jam cool on the counter. And they made this little pop every time one of them sealed. And I'm like, this is what I want to write about. I want to write about my grandmother's plum jam. And I have no idea where I can do that. And when I looked around, I saw that I could at least write about women's lives in romances because they are focused on the woman and her journey and her journey toward happiness, like what is going to satisfy her. Hmm. So that's where I started writing there, but that was never exactly the right fit. I wanted the whole picture and women's fiction as it exists now didn't really develop until the early 2000s. I think like late 1990s, early 2000s, there started to be women's fiction, um, you know, mainstream novels that were written by women about women's lives. And that started to develop at that time. And that's when I started writing this kind of a book. But now there's a gigantic market for it. There's a billion book clubs. There's a lot of people who just really like to read and talk with their friends about reading. And a lot of those people are women. And so there's this wonderful fit. And I also think that Amazon Lake Union has done a wonderful job sort of sussing out what those book club readers, those kinds of readers really like. Yeah. Um, and they are just really successful with this kind of book. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned Lake Union because it, it, a lot of the guests of the podcast have, um, have been published by Lake Union. And it seems like they, they have a really keen awareness of, of that. Bit, right that that idea of being like there's there's actually been a latent 
need for this or latent want. Like readers have not just wanted one specific brand or flavor of book. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lake Union seems to have done a really good job of bringing the titles to the surface that people are really interested in reading and really, really, truly do want um, to have in their life, which is which is super cool. And and it's it's an interesting thought. Kind of as I'm talking, it makes me think. Um, I think there's a lot of people who feel as if they should write something that is going to increase their chances of being published. Mm-hmm. And and it's almost it's almost what what I'm hearing and sensing is almost like you know there's a market potentially for what you want to write even if it seems like it may not be you know directly on the surface right yeah well I mean it's always a a, a hard line to walk and it's hard to understand especially when you're like starting out like. What does it mean to be a commercial writer? What does it mean to be a literary writer? What does it mean to want to make a career with this? And how do I make that work with um, the ideas and themes that I want to explore? And so kind of moving through that is really a big challenge, I think, for a lot of writers. Um, But it helps to have a publisher who says, you know, and I have to say, too, that Lake Union is extremely rigorous in their editing, Mm -hmm. um, in their discussion of, like, what are we writing about? No one has ever said to me one thing about what I should write or shouldn't write. Um, But we can get into some really juicy discussions about what's serving the work. And I think that that's a big part of why those books are doing so well, too, because they are rigorously, rigorously edited which is not always the case in commercial fiction. Right. Yeah. And, and it, um, yeah, it, it's interesting you say that because, because that, um, editing process and that refinement process, I, I think sometimes is really what can take a really good idea and a promising concept and even maybe even a good execution and make it truly great, almost like magical. Like when you read, when we believed in mermaids, it has like almost a magical quality. Like the, the, the pages I, they just, you don't even realize how quickly you're reading the book. You're just so engrossed and enraptured. And, um, you know, having a team, I'm, I'm sure really helps that process or, or helps that product. Yeah. It does. I mean, and I spent, um, I, I started working with a new editor on this, on mermaids, um, Tiffany Yates Martin. And she, took <laughs> the first time I got her notes, I'm like, Oh my God, like, how am I going to do all this? And like, it would just seemed overwhelming. And she's like, don't worry about it. I just I always notice everything that I'm noticing. So I like dug in and I was writing and writing and writing. And by the time we did three rounds and by the time I got to the end, I'm like, I thought this was a really good book to start with, but I can't believe what she's done to help make. I mean, I think it was her input, us working together. And also my other editor, Alicia Clancy, all of us talking about the various things. And there were things that I really fought for that I think I was right. Um, and I can't give them away because people <laughs> yeah. who have not read the book would not know, you know, it'll ruin something. Um, but just all of us together trying to get the best book possible. It's exhilarating to do that work. And I'm so, okay, like I want to work with her. Like, all the time. Right. You're mine now. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Let's do this thing. Um, she's really, now. really good. Yeah. So for, you know, for newer writers or people who don't, maybe even publish, but don't have the same kind of editorial support right. that um, you enjoyed on this book, um, what are some ways that people can solicit that 
type of feedback? Like how, if you're kind of in the trenches alone, if you kind of think back in your own experience, right. can you push your book forward in a meaningful way and build a group of people around you? I think that there are a couple of ways you can do it. And there's actually really a lot of um, assistance available now because the internet has so many fingers out there. Um, So I think critique groups can be great, um, except for when they're horrible. Um, But you have to (laughs) find alignment with people who are who are writers like you are a writer, people who are smart about books or maybe really understand something that you don't understand. And if you get enough of those people together in a group, it can be really magical just like that. The problem with critique groups is, is that there's often a lot of jockeying for position and somebody anoints themselves as like the expert. Um, and then people can get intimidated and you end up like getting group voice uh, on the manuscripts, which I think is not very helpful. And if you can afford it, uh, there are definitely editors for hire out there who are really good editors who have a lot of time and energy and um, they're hungry for work. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's a website just to kind of be super prescriptive and tactical. And I I cannot, I might have to link to it in the show notes, Um, but it's, it's a really wonderful website. I've used it a few times where there's freelance editors listed. It's almost like you post a project and they'll bid. on the on it and i think they do like there's um jacket illustrations there's editing services there's maybe even book publicity okay oh this is gonna drive me nuts yeah <laughs> i don't i can't I'm, help you but it sounds fam- fabulous yeah it's gonna pop in my head in about 10 minutes i, I can app i can 100 guarantee you it's in there um <laughs> i'm gonna crush the rest of this cup of coffee right next to me and then that'll maybe propel it out you know um right <laughs> so I, I'm always, you know, when I get the opportunity to speak with an author like yourself who has written so many books across, you know, many years and really reached the highest, some of the highest levels of success, you know, when you think about what you, you know, in the publishing game and the author game, um, I always love to ask this question because it it's so illuminating and I, and I would love to know now that you've published 70 books and you have all this, you know, success, what now does success look like to you? How do you define success? Wow. Um, I think for me, it's the same as it always has been, which is I want to be successful enough with each book that I can sell the next book and keep doing this until like I drop dead. I mean, that's the ultimate, um, to be able to keep reaching my readers and, you know, hopefully growing that readership because not because of a desire for fame, but a desire to reach every single one of the readers that might really enjoy my book. So we could have that communication. I mean, that's what it's all about for most of us. I think that, that we want to communicate with someone with, with the world ideas. And so getting that, getting all of those people. I mean, Mm. that's part of it. Yeah. Which is, sorry. No, please go ahead. I mean, that's one of the reasons that it's been so lovely what's happened with the last couple of books that, you know, really I am reaching the readers that have always been there, but I've never been able to reach them the way I am now. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I know, um, you know, I, I know when we believed in mermaids probably sold a 
zillion. That's a formal number. Copies. <laughs> I mean, like, like I've, I've. It's funny. I've seen it for you know a year on my Instagram. I follow a bunch of book publishers and you know Goodreads and all. I just I feel like I see it all the time. Um. So you you had you you just mentioned developing and kind of growing your readership, and that's always I think on the mind of probably every author in the entire planet outside of, you know, Stephen King, (laughs) you know what I mean? Right. Um, So how is it that you have found like success and what have been some of the big turning points for you in growing your readership? Well, I think that you have to be aware, first of all, and I've had this conversation recently with a couple of people who published a book and haven't really found what they wanted that in the the modern world, you have to understand how to market. You have to be able to use all of the tools that are now available to us, which are wonderful. There's so many of them that that you can find something that you'll be good at, whether it's Instagram or a newsletter or Facebook, whatever it is that you're really good at, you can reach your readers and then be present for them and be as authentic as possible as the person who's writing the books that you're writing. It's not about promotion. It's about showing up and engaging with readers who, I heard a phrase, aspirational yet uh, accessible. So it's sort of like they want that life, but it's, you have to also be accessible and not above you know, the, the, the fray. Um, yeah. And people are nervous about that. Like it feels icky or something. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, have you struggled to put on that, you know, like public persona in a way, like, like to, to, to present yourself as um, somebody who does those things, does Instagram and puts, you know, their face and content on Facebook and videos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and here's the, the problem is that, most of us are pretty introverted because you don't go into a job that means (laughs) you're going to sit alone (laughs) all day long, every day, all the time and love it. uh, If you're not in, you know, an introvert. So for me, I was really shy when I was younger. And at first I was like, I had no idea I was going to have to like go do talks somewhere. And it, it was years before I could actually do a public presentation. I mean, I've learned how to do it now and I really like it. And teaching is really fun, but the idea that you have to be public is really hard. But what I tell people is create a persona. It's not really you doing that. It is a persona. It is this um, avatar that's taking care of all this marketing stuff for you. And if you want, I mean, we're all writers, make that person, you know, get, you know, create a character who's doing this work for you. And it can still be authentic and then you're protected. Um, what I always say to um, my friends is like, it's an illusion of intimacy. It's not true intimacy. So mm. people think they know your life, but they don't really. Yeah. Yeah. I've experienced that. I, um, I've, I've experienced that not for writing a book, but starting this platform. And I um, I, I'm a heavy introvert. My, it might surprise some for me to say that. And I found I've had to adopt, like you said, almost a persona that I'm really proud of that's authentic to me, but mm-hmm. represents like almost a 2D version of Brian, not like the 3D 
version of Brian. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Because if not, if I think about, you know, how many people are going to listen to this, or if I think about, <laughs> you know, doing a reading at night and there's hundreds uh-huh. of people looking at my face, I'll freak out, <laughs> you right. know? And it's almost like divorcing yourself and becoming, in a lot of ways, it's like the writing process in general. It's almost divorcing yourself from what you're like, I can't do and just finding the version of yourself that can do it and then doing it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I remember I had a roommate at a conference once who brought a bunch of people into the room to do something. And I was not yet in my writer clothes into my author persona. And I was sort of up for an award or something like that. And everyone's like, oh, you're Barbara Samuel. And I'm like, oh my God. And I can't do this without my, without my clothes on, without my makeup on, without like that, that avatar to help me. Right. Um, And that was the first time that I realized that I even had that person that I had developed that avatar. Do do you have a, um, a, a memory of how you developed that avatar? I don't, I think it was gradual. Um, When I found out, well, here's a funny story about me speaking. I really was trying to avoid speaking. I I really didn't like it early in my career and invitations kept coming in and I knew that I should do it to help build my audience, but I was just so like afraid of public speaking. I was so shy that I just didn't want to do it. And then Mm -hmm. my sister had, um, someone, it was like a bunch of doctors going to Breckenridge or one of the mountain resorts. And they just wanted a romance writer to come in for an hour and speak to these women to like, while their surgeon husbands were busy doing something else. And I'm like, Oh, this would be really good. And it's going to be, they gave a free weekend up in the mountains. And at the last minute I called one of my good friends and said, I can't do this. You have to do it for me. And I'm like, that was stupid. And you need to learn how to do this thing, how to, how to be public and private at the same time. And that was when I started to like deliberately figure out how I could be in the world as a public person and also protect my very shy private self. Right. Yeah. It's like, they both have to exist. They do. Yeah. It can't just be that, you know, the introverts of, you know, the, the writing introvert class, which is, you know, 98% of us, mm-hmm. um, that all of a sudden you become an extrovert. It just is, it's just almost learning how to also, it's like a yes. And, you know, yes, exactly. you are an yep. introvert and you have the ability to show up in a way that maybe doesn't feel super comfortable. And, and I think unfortunately in a lot of ways, and I don't know why life is this way, but it just, in my life and the people I've worked with and coached, so much of it seems like the really important growth comes through the things that you don't really feel like you can do, but you need to do. Oh, so much, so much. That's true. Yeah. It doesn't like, no one's like, oh, you know, I really struggled to adopt a really awful eating habit or to stop (laughs) exercising or, you know, like, like no one's like, yeah, I just, I started, you know, doing X, Y, Z. That was bad for me. And it was really hard to start doing that. It's almost always the good stuff for you that presents this massive challenge that you have to lean into. It's like, that's what, it's like the yes and, and it's crunchy. It's kind of like, you know, it doesn't always feel great. Yeah. So, um, again, go, going back to this idea of looking back of just this wonderful long career with 
ebbs and flows and new experiences and all these books published. If, uh, you know, some prestigious creative writing program, you know, an MFA or, you know, undergrad or whatever, you know, one of the big workshops called you up and they said, listen, we want you to teach one class to, you know, new and, and intermediate writers. And, and we really want a class that we feel like is going to, you know, really serve the most amount of writers and the thing that you, Barbara, are most passionate about. What would that topic be for those writers? I don't even have to think about it. It would be voice. I believe in the power of voice so much. And I think it's really, um, it's like a spaghetti concept. People sort of think they know what it is, but it's slippery and it's hard to get a hold of. Um, And I've taught it a lot and I have a lot of exercises and it's just so rewarding to see that light uh, go off on somebody's face or in their writing. And then suddenly they're doing things they had no idea they even wanted to do. And yet there it is. And, oh my. and it's, it's great. Would you be willing to share like a, a quick exercise right now that people might be able to do? We, voice comes up a ton. There's two, there's, when I ask questions like that, there's two things that come up a lot, pacing and voice as being mm. like secret sauce that authors lean on. And so yeah. I would love to dig in, like if someone's like, I hear voice a lot, but I don't know the first step or I don't know how to even take action against that. How would you be like, here's the first thing that you can do? The first thing I would say is that it is, your voice is not something you can escape. It's a part of everything that you do. It's made up of all of the experiences that you've ever had, um, all of the things that you are. But the the trio of exercises that I like to do is write, I do timed writings and you have to write as fast as possible. You're not allowed to stop um, for like three minutes. What is the house that you live? Describe the house that you lived in when you were seven years old. That's the first one. And the the next one is I am 12 years old, dot, dot, dot. And the next one is I'm 18 years old, dot, dot, dot. And the the three of those together often just click. a sense of self that's really unique and it's amazing how no one ever writes the same things on these ever. So in a room, in a group, when everybody's reading these, you start to see, Oh, this is how my voice flows. Plus you also see how you put sentences on the page. Do you write long sentences, short sentences? Um, How does that sound like you? And those are very key ages. So they really help you see what, influences developed um, your voice hmm. that I, I as you're talking i'm like thinking through those prompts this is where like the podcast shifts for me interviewing people to me just trying to like keep up with my brain that's thinking about what you're saying and trying to apply that to myself you know? <laughs> i'm just like oh my gosh how do i like think about that so um one of the things you said to, to rewind before those those um, activities, which are just brilliant. We'll sum those up in the show notes so people can uh, take those down and do them, do them themselves, is um, you said something along the lines, you can't escape your voice. Right. Um, and I'm curious if that statement is rooted in the fact that oftentimes writers try not to write their, in their own voice and write in a different voice. Is that kind of where that's rooted? Yes. And I also think that this is where the critique process often wounds writers and that like to 
get back to the, the authentic voice that's your own. Sometimes you have to stop hearing all of those teachers and critique partners and people saying that this is how you should write. I remember when I was, I mean, I was raised very working class and um, I just thought that there was nothing interesting about that world at all. Like I remember people saying, you should write about what you know. And I'm like, what do I know? I know bologna sandwiches on white bread with mustard. But <laughs> even that sentence, that is something like that's really something. That's a very specific thing. Um, and I had to just get comfortable with the fact that those are my experiences and that's my life. And I'm not necessarily writing about those things, but they all flow into how I put words on the page and how I think about the world. Um, yeah. And once you get real with that, it can really empower your writing. Yeah. I love that so much. I mean, I mean that, that gave me, um, you know, sometimes you feel that like electrical current when you mm. hear something and you just like, it kind of like crackles and you're like, Oh yeah, this is good. Ooh, that's that, good. That, that's like good. Gave, <laughs> that like gave that feeling to me when you were saying that so much of this platform and the idea you know, after, you know, after doing an MFA, I felt like there was, there was still something I hadn't learned yet. And it's so much of it. I felt like was this idea that your writing starts inside of you. It doesn't start with your technique and it doesn't start with how good you can write a sentence. And those are important things. I'm not discounting them at all, but they're not more important than what is inside of you and wants to come out, you know, and, and part of that is, is wrapped up in your voice and in your stories that right. are entrusted to you, right? They're just entrusted to you. And you're right. Like your sandwich may not be, you know, part of the story, but that experience ha- will form the story you do tell that has been entrusted. And there's something really sacred to me and really holy about that. Really That's beautiful. That's a really about good that. word. Yeah. It's holy. It is holy. Um, yeah. And we're all like, you don't become a writer by accident. Like we have to have... <laughs> You know, you have to have such a weird set of flaws and virtues that, you know, and it, it's hard work to be a writer. Yeah. So like one of the things is that like when I teach the voice class, one of the reasons I started teaching it so adamantly was because there's something that the world needs that you've got inside of you. And that's your whole job is to free that and like give it to the world. Because I remember like I had an experience and my mother's like, oh, well, this is good because all the people who can't write, you know, will will be able to relate to this when you write about it. I'm like, oh, that's great. I had this experience so I can like make other people feel better. <laughs> but in a way, that's kind of what it is. You know, like right. you're offering um, these insights or whatever it is, is your world to other people. Right. Yeah. And, and in that way, the writing life becomes almost like self-contained, you know, and we, we had, you know, kind of discussed this idea of, you know, finding a market for your book and thinking about the publishing and marketing side, but, you know, writing in this way, it it almost like the reason for writing is self-contained and it's to write, it's to tell that story in your voice, to get that story out of you. And then the marketing stuff again this is it's still very important it's very important um but it's not again it's not more important and i think sometimes as writers especially writers in a in a you know amazon world where it's like sales and and agents oh, and yeah. publishers we get very fixated on the things way further down the chain which are like what's my audience like or even like how good is my prose which is again it's important um but that core remains your voice and your story 
that, that you bring to the world. Yeah. And I mean, so, there really has been a terrible shift to the, to how many books can you write in a year or how much right. can you, you know, like that market, market, market stuff. I really think it really hurts writers in the long run. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it, we, we've, inter- I've interviewed writers across the entire spectrum. I mean, I, I've interviewed writers who've taken 20 years to write one book and interview writers who write, you know, two, three books a year. And so it's mm-hmm. interesting. There, there's such a spectrum in there of um, kind of like where, where the writer fits. It, it, it's such a interesting, I'm like endlessly fascinated with the writing life and then how that translates into actually publishing stuff and getting it yeah. out there. So yeah. for you, now that we're you know recording this in late April, the world is crazy. Um, and are you in Colorado Springs right now? I am. Okay. I love that city. I, I lived, oh, I've lived twice in Denver. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. And probably will wind up there again. Who knows when, but love, I have a deep love for Colorado and Colorado Springs is such a beautiful, amazing, like, you know, we use the word holy, but there is like a spiritual, um, like feeling when you're in Colorado Springs, you just right up on the mountains and you have all this just beautiful right. scenery and, you know, I'm looking at Pikes Peak covered with oh, snow right out I mean, my there, window right now. Yeah, you live in the dream. And what's interesting too, people don't know this if you haven't lived in Colorado, which is that the weather is probably the best weather to me in the country. Like it, it, is, it is stunning weather. It's not as cold as people expect it. Not unless you're like in the mountains. I digress. Right. So right. in your, <laughs> you know, I could go on and on about this. But I know you. I'm like, I'm like, here we go. <laughs> Brian's running away. <laughs> so uh, in your, you know, house looking at beautiful Pikes Peak, what does uh, in social isolation in our crazy world, what now does a typical writing day look like for you? You know, it's really not a lot different. Um, it's, I, I mean, I work from home. I do these things all the time. One of the things that I thought this social isolation thing or the social distancing would be fine. I would have no problems with it. And it's been really hard, partly Mm -hmm. because my husband's always here. He is underfoot. He talks. Who knew he talked that much? Um, (laughs) That it's just been really hard to focus. Um, And I I think I was using little trips out to the the paint store or, you know, off, let's, let's go get some special things for the, the salad for dinner tonight at Whole Foods right. to sort of fill the well and keep me like sort of in the world, but not in the world. And there's no way to do any of that right now. I mean, I have, I've, I've started getting up at five o'clock in the morning to write because it's the only time that I'm not like thinking about what's going on in the world and um, it's actually such a good technique. I should do it all the time, but it's hard to get up that far. Yeah. Five, five you know? o'clock over the long haul starts to wear, wear, wear people down. It does. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's interesting. I, it's funny you say that cause I saw, um, this really interesting graphic and it was like, where do you fall? You know, you're an introvert realizing you're actually more extroverted than you thought. Like you actually, there's actually more touch points with people than you thought you're an introvert who's more introverted than what you thought. You're an extrovert who's more introverted than what you thought, or you're an extrovert who's more extroverted than what you thought. And I feel like, um, you know, a lot of us are realizing like, oh, I had a vision of myself. And then once this idea of like human connections taken away, 
maybe I'm a little bit different than what I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Not not you know right or wrong or better or worse, just different. You know, right? So I could I could truly speak to you all day about the writing process and the writing life, but it is time for us to start wrapping up this interview. And to do that, I always ask the same final four questions, and I cannot wait to ask these to you. So let's do question number one. I'm ready. First question. If you had to pick a spirit book, and so this is like a book, if you died and you were reincarnated as a book, what book would it be? You know, I had to struggle with this one a little bit because I was trying to think, well, is it like my qualities or... And I really came up with, I know this is a book that people talk about all the time. You either love it or hate it, but it's Eat, Pray, Love because Mm -hmm. it's about the food experience and finding yourself traveling and the spiritual aspects and love. I mean, that's my book. That's what I would say. It is a beautiful, it's a beautiful book. I love that book. I I love it too. I've read it many times. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the book has, um, is like 10 times more punchy to me just to Brian than the movie. Not the oh, not, not, not that I didn't yeah. like the movie, but just the book. You know, we talked a little bit about magic. Like when you read a book and you feel yeah. like you're holding magic. And I, I can remember reading that book for the first time and being like, I'm witnessing magic here. You know what I mean? Like I know. Just, I, yeah. I had the same thing. I, I read an excerpt in Oprah Magazine and it was just before it was published and I just got chills over my whole body. I'm like, oh, this book. You know, right. I mean, that right. feeling. Yeah, so. and it's interesting how she's like in real life has, um, you know, it is just such, you, you can see how the, the book created this amazingly complex and wonderful person. And I, I mean, I read all of her stuff now. I um, do too. I as love a result. all of them. Yeah. Like Big Mad. I loved those books. And so. Um, I loved the signature of all things. Oh, I just yeah, thought it was, was an so amazing good. book. And I, I kept reading it as a writer thinking, why am I turning the pages so fast about this woman who studies moss. Moss. Like, <laughs> wow. How did she do this? <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. I live in the Northeast, and um, every time I see moss, I think about that book. Every, <laughs> I do, single, actually, every single I really time. Do. <laughs> you know, there's not like moss in the West. You know what I mean? Like, moss doesn't like grow very well in super dry no. climates. And, no, uh, it doesn't. Living in New York, and when we, when we go upstate, there's moss everywhere. And I always think about that book like forever <laughs> in my mind. Anyways, okay. Question number two. Is there a specific tool, pencil, software, or chair? Anything, can be anything at all, that you absolutely must have to write? I don't absolutely have to have anything to write, but I really like to have Scribner. Mm, I'm with you on that one. I'm, yeah, it's I just... Am. It's good. So smart. It's yeah. such a good program. Yeah, it's good. I'm with you. Okay, question number three. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? That is a really tough question. I mean, I think you just have to go into it knowing that it's going to be really big ups and downs and um, know what it's going to take to keep you going. And for me, that's forgetting about what happened, you know, the thing that's, that's bothering me, that's sad, and moving into the work itself and being in the work. If you go back to the work and the joy of writing, even when it's not always joyful, you can find something joyful in it, then it'll get you through all of it because mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. I have the word joy tattooed on my arm for that reason. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was, you know, like I always tattoo things 
on my body before I understand them. I feel really drawn mm. to them and, and I tattoo them and only later do I realize their relevance. And oh, um, joy has been the word of this year for me. And I got it last year. And I, I realize how important that is in the writing process specifically um, yeah. to have joy and to take joy. Um, and it, anyways, I have a stone on my desk that has joy carved into it. Oh man, we're like kindred spirits on these questions. Okay, indeed, indeed. Um, okay. The final question here, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, and um, you know, just to kind of bullet point it, if you could give one piece of advice to new writers, what would it be? On this one, I would say finish what you start. Hmm. There's just so many things you learn by completing a project. Um, that you can't learn any other way. And I think you will learn more by finishing each book instead of running for the next story, which is shiny and new and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, that's an underlined and bold answer for me, like for new writers yeah. out there, for people who feel like they're struggling or, or, you know, maybe they feel, um, disconnected from their writing life. Just even if it's a short story, that's fine. Yeah. You know, it can be very, it doesn't have to be a novel. Just complete something and then, you know, make that the standard that whatever you take on, even if you don't like it by the end, that's okay. There's learning and not liking, right? right. You can still learn right. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Barbara, I, I truly like, I, I, I'm remiss that this conversation is over because I've so deeply enjoyed <laughs> chatting with you. I, I feel like I have learned personally so much. Like I can't wait to re-listen to this and just kind of absorb everything all over again. I'm um, so thank excited. You. I'm glad. Yeah. And thank you so much for uh, coming onto the podcast. I know the listeners will absolutely love this and, um, you know, continue to stay safe and sane and looking at those beautiful mountains in this period of social isolation. That we are <laughs> in. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was really, really fun. Thank you again. Okay. Thank you again to Barbara for her time. If you haven't yet, please look us up on iTunes, give us a review and rating. It means the world to us to see your support. Also, check us out on Instagram, How Writers Write. I'm also on Twitter, How underscore Writers, and Facebook. Just search How Writers Write and you'll find me. Last, I want to say thank you to these dear listeners, and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.